Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Today we turn our hearts to Matthew chapter 28. Today we're going to come back to what is known as the Great Commission. And today uh, I want to help us to begin to understand what the Great Commission really is. One of the reasons this passage is so powerful is, first of all, these are words of Christ. These are words of Jesus. You'll find them again, Matthew chapter 28. These are words of Christ. These are some of the very last words of Christ as well. If you're taking notes today, you'll find in your bulletin a place that you can take notes, that you can write things down. I certainly hope that we are a congregation uh, that is growing as students of the Scriptures, that we might better know the Word of God, who is the living Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you are a student of the Scriptures, that you might come to better know the Word of God, who is the living hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any study of Scripture never leads us to the feet and the heart of Jesus, then we're just getting information. And I'm telling you today, information will never lead to transformation. It's only when information meets revelation from the Spirit of God that your life has changed. And that's where our heart is. That we're just not a better informed congregation. That we're smarter than we were yesterday. That we're just growing in biblical knowledge. But our heart is that we are truly being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's happening as the Holy Spirit completes the good work that He already began in us. And out of that flows, out of that flows, a tremendous heart and passion for those who do not know the love of Christ. And so today, as we turn our hearts to the Great Commission, we're reminded of the words of Christ, that Christ's words are very important, that these are some of His very last words. A few months ago, we talked about the last words of Jesus on the cross, but these are some of the last words of Jesus on the earth. Right before He ascends back to the Father, these are some of the last things that He wants His followers to know. These are very, very important words. In fact, it has often been said that the New Testament church stands and it falls on its understanding of what the Great Commission really is all about. So that's what we're entitling this message today. This is just a sermon series where we're just seeking to follow the Holy Spirit in what we preach over the next several weeks. And we try to do that all the time, but this is truly a week-to-week thing of sensing, okay, God, okay, God, what are you saying to us as a congregation? And this is what He's been breathing in and through my heart and life back to you. So these are important words. Jesus some of his last words to his followers. It's almost like when you think about last words, that many times those last words are the most important words. Because these are the words that he wants to leave with his disciples. As they would 
go forward in their lives and in their ministry as they would think back to the closest, nearest memory they have of Jesus physically in their presence. There's no way that they would be able to get around or forget these last words. Some have often said that these last words of Jesus Christ are in fact the battle cry of the New Testament church. We live, we breathe, we die, we stand, we fall by our understanding of what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. We also believe that these words are not just those followers who were with Him at that day and time, but we also believe that these words should be in our hearts as well. That in fact, because these words were in their hearts, the gospel came to us. We need to never, ever, ever forget that because the gospel was in the heart of somebody before us, the gospel came to us. And so when we think about where this thing is moving, when we think about Christianity, and we think about the hope that is in Christ, and I'm telling you, the world is dying because it has no hope. Hope is found in Christ. But for us, who have received the gospel, who have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, who have experienced a changed life, a new life, whereby we have been set free, there is no greater opportunity that we have than to share that same hope with those who so desperately need it. So may this be implanted deep in our hearts. The title of this message is this. What the Great Commission really is. What the Great Commission really is. In the text this morning, in Matthew chapter 28, we are going to begin at verse 16. Many people, when studying the Great Commission, will start around verse 19. But to really understand what the Great Commission really is, you need to go back to a bigger context. And so we're going to start back in verse 16. We'll probably study this over a couple of weeks because there's so much here in the text. And I hope that you take good notes as we work through this today. Matthew in his gospel writes this. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. Why eleven? Why not twelve? At this point in time, Judas is no longer with them. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So Jesus had appointed a place before He ascends back to the Father where He wants to gather together with His disciples. This is one last coming together, a, a, a rendezvous, if you will, of bringing their hearts and minds together around Him where he's going to share some of these last words of his. And the scripture says in verse 17, that when they saw him, when they saw him, they did what? They worshiped him. 
But some were doubtful. Now, if you're ever doubtful, if you ever struggle with doubts, if you ever struggle with unbelief or fear or uncertainty, then if you can be grouped with those first initial apostles, I would say you might be okay. That even if those guys who were right there seeing Him, visualizing Him, the risen Christ in front of them, if you ever struggle with your faith and you struggle for answers yourself, and I know so many of us do throughout the course of our lives, then if that's the case with you, even today, you'll find yourself in pretty good company because some of those initial apostles, they themselves were doubtful. Is this the risen Christ? Is this really Him? Is this just a ghost? Is this a spirit figure? Who are we really beholding? But the Scripture says that for the most part, the disciples did what? They worshipped Him. What a great response when you think, when you feel, when you ponder, when you sense the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would simply always be about falling and worshiping Him. And then Jesus says these words in verse 18. And we're just going to read through the rest of the text, and I'll come back, and we'll dive a little bit deeper. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father God, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray, Father, that your Spirit would help us, even in this moment, to push back our flesh, even our religious flesh, that we might truly hear the words of Jesus. I pray, Father, that your Spirit would touch our hearts today. I pray, Father, that your Spirit would change lives today. That we would just not go through this, Father, as exercise in a worship service, but, Father, we would truly open up our hearts and surrender all to you. So, Lord Jesus, we give you this time, and we need you, and we're dependent upon your Spirit. And we pray this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, as I was thinking about the Great Commission, and when you think about the Great Commission, you cannot help but to think about the church, to think about the body of Christ. Also, you cannot help but to think about this. Is the body of Christ really being about the Great Commission? I know that in my heart, and I know it's in your heart too, that you want to get things right. You don't want to live your life and get to a point in time in your life and you look back and you be like, oh my goodness, I, I, I missed so much. Or get to a point in your life and, and you have regrets that you didn't do this, or you didn't do that, or you weren't about this, or you weren't about that. I mean, can you imagine coming to a point in your life, or maybe even you die, and you stand before God, and you hear God say, I love you. 
I forgave you through Jesus of all of your sins. But I'm sorry. You missed the whole point. None of us would ever want to be in that point of, of looking back and being, oh, my focus was here. My focus was there. I thought it was about this or I thought it was about that. And, and, and now I look back and see that I missed so much. So I know it's in your heart. It's in my heart that we really be about, as Christ followers, what is truly in the heart of Christ for our day and for our time. One of the core convictions about the Great Commission is that this is a commission that is given to the church for all ages. That it's not just to those first initial 11 disciples, but it's also given to all people for all times in all places. So in our understanding of these words, we truly take them to heart and we sit at the feet of Jesus and we listen to them as if Christ is speaking these words directly to us. And I've just got to believe, I've just got to believe that as we take these words to heart and we embrace them, as we move forward, we can do so with great confidence that we are truly being about what it is in the heart of Christ for us to be about. Now, as you look at the Christian landscape today, in all honesty, in the United States of America, it's not looking good. In fact, everybody that you read about, read an article this morning in the New York Times talking about the decline of Christianity in the United States. The churches by the score are closing their doors every year. That many congregations are struggling just to hang on, to cover their expenses, to reach people. But many congregations today are sitting in great big buildings that at one point in time were filled. But today, they're completely and almost empty. People look around in the churches today and wonder, what in the world is going on? Now, I will tell you some things. The body of Christ, and please hear me, the body of Christ is alive and well. Jesus Himself said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. So the body of Christ is moving forward. Places all around the world where people are coming to faith in Christ by the hundreds, but in regards to what we know and what many of us have experienced for years in church life, that seems to be in great decline. I was reading one writer this past week who's a part of a growing church that's reaching people, and he shared in a column 10 reasons, 10 possible reasons why churches aren't reaching people and why they're not growing. And I'm going to give you these 10 reasons very quickly this morning. 10 very possible reasons your church or any church isn't growing and reaching people. He cites the number one reason is because many local congregations find themselves in conflict. They find themselves in conflict. 
Have you ever been to somebody's house and the host or maybe the hostess in the house got in an argument while you were there? Have you ever been to someone's home and, and while you were visiting, they invited you over for dinner, but maybe off in another room, you heard them begin to exchange words? They were in conflict. They were arguing back and forth. Now, how many of you, if you've ever been in that setting, you were like, okay, where is that nearest door that I came in, right? I mean, you are looking to get out of that door. One of the reasons cited why churches aren't growing is because churches find themselves in conflict. They don't forgive very easily. They hold on to grudges. One of the big reasons is they don't deal with conflict in a healthy way. And let's just be honest. Sometimes you've got to meet problems head on. You've got to make a phone call. You've got to say something. You've got to stand up. You've got to take responsibility for the spiritual health of your congregation. And guess what? It's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not just the deacon's responsibility. But it is the responsibility of every believer to try to maintain a sense of love, unity, and peace. And it doesn't mean you're not going to have conflict. I'm telling you, every human relationship has conflict. The issue is not will you have conflict. The issue is, will you have in the love of Christ the strength to address it and to deal with it? So when there's not a willingness to reconcile or to forgive and people harbor thoughts and bad feelings, nobody wants to come and be a part of that. Reason number two. Some people find themselves being in love with the past more than they are in love with the future and the opportunities in front of them. It could be even a church that's looking back over what it did five years ago, he says. Even five years ago. The likelihood of reaching the next generation diminishes with every passing day as long as we hang on to anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we sang, I surrender what? I surrender what? I surrender what? I surrender... Do you really mean that? Do you really mean that? When it comes to sacrificing or surrendering all for the sake of the gospel going into the lives of other people, Is it really in our hearts to surrender all? Or will we be like so many congregations that say, yes, we want to reach people. We want to reach people with the gospel, but we want to do it on our own terms. We want to do it on our own terms. We're not willing to make the necessary changes we need to make in order to get the gospel into the lives of people. And please hear me. It's never about compromising the message, but it's always about having a missionary's heart and a missionary's desire to be, as Paul said, all things to all men, that by all means some might come to faith in Christ. So many times in Scripture, God calls out men and women out of their comfort zones to be Christ, 
to another. We cannot be more in love with the past than we are with the future. Here's number three, and this one hurts. This hurts. Just say with me, this hurts. Just say with me, this is going to hurt. Number three, you're not that awesome to be around. I told you. You're that awesome to be around. Fake. Hang on, Jeannie, you're going to give me a heart attack. Okay. Listen. Fake. Judgmental. Hypocritical. Angry. Narrow. Unthinking. Inconsiderate. And unkind. Did you know that these are some of the marks? The unbelieving world has put on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said, they will know that you are My disciples by your what? Your great doctrine. Your great teaching. Having all your theological ducks in a row. Your great services. Your great music. Your great speakers. Your great servants. Your great buildings? No. Jesus said, they will know you are mine by your, by your love. Unfortunately, some of us are not that awesome to be around. And we wonder why the church isn't reaching people. Number four, you're focused on yourself. Too many churches are focused on their wants, their preferences, their perceived needs. Self-focused organizations built by self-focused people. It should be no surprise that outsiders don't feel welcomed, valued, or included. Number five, many Christians think the culture is the enemy. Read their, their Facebook posts, hear their private conversations. They think the culture is the enemy. If all ever are is angry at the culture around you, then how are you going, how are you going to reach people in that culture? Christians who consistently expect non-Christians to act like Christians, that's baffling. They're lost. And the biggest challenge is some of us, we act like we're lost. Because who we are in Christ has not come to meet or to match what we demonstrate and put out in the world. The culture's not the enemy. It's not the person down the road that doesn't go to church on a Sunday morning and by the way, had a conversation late, late, late last night. Listen to me, listen to me, please. It was gut-wrenching. 
I've been studying, getting ready for today, fighting all those own personal battles and challenges that all of us fight in alone in God's Word, in prayer, get a text message, have a conversation that is absolutely gut-wrenching a child today, maybe separated from their parents. A parent is looking at some very difficult challenges coming down the road. A broken home, a broken family, all kinds of issues involved. It was like getting punched in the gut as I read the words coming over my screen on my phone. But I'm telling you, there are so many people battling things today, but they're not here with us. They're not here with us. They think somebody's going to judge them. They think they don't look good enough. They feel that they're not going to be welcomed. What if I start crying? What if I start weeping? What if I go to the altar in the middle of the first song? Will everybody be wondering, gee, I wonder what's wrong with them? Or will people come around me and love me and accept me for who I am? Can I be honest? Can I be real? Somebody said to me not long ago, Brother Allen, we're not very real with each other. We put on masks. People say, hey, how you doing? We say, oh, I'm good. And their lives are going to hell. But they're not with us. The culture and the people that are out there outside of our ministry, they're not the enemy. They're the ones Jesus died for. And one time in your life, you were out there apart from the family of God yourself. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be where you are today. And you're the very vehicle and the very life the Lord Jesus Christ wants to demonstrate His hope and His life and His grace through. But as long as we think, oh, they're going to come in, they're going to change things, we don't want that kind of... I've heard people say, we don't want those kind of people here. Well, guess what? I was once those kind of people and when you get to the bottom and the core of my life and your life, you struggle and I struggle and we all have problems and we all have issues. Sometimes we're just not real honest about letting them be made known. Some people are afraid to risk what is for the sake of what That's holding on. It's not moving forward. Number seven, churches struggle in making decisions. The writer says that governance will become a major issue for future churches when decision making is rooted in complex bureaucracy or various things. And it's hard to get things done and difficult. It makes decisions 
making decision making difficult and courageous change almost impossible. Did you know that the reason why new churches grow faster and reach more people effectively than older congregations is because they have streamlined and they have trusted the decision making process. And sometimes you have to make decisions on the fly. And you have to be proactive. And by the time you try to reach congregational agreement, the urgency to meet the need is already gone. I've seen some of our guys here get a phone call about a need. And it was an urgent need. And they called me and they said, we need to meet this need. But do I need to do this? And do I need to do that? So no, by all means, meet the need. We have a caring, loving, compassionate, considerate congregation that I am so thankful for today. You talk more than you act. You can talk a good game. But listen is important. Number nine, you don't think there's anything wrong with your church. He says, I still run into a surprising amount of leaders and church members who love their church but can't figure out why no one else does outside of them. All churches have problems and challenges and difficulties and warts and wrinkles. We're comprised of people. We need to admit and own up to our challenges and not be offended or insulted if somebody comes in and says, well, you know what? That congregation is not very friendly. By the way, I had someone tell me that. Not long ago. Came, sat down. Nobody talked to me. Congregation is not very friendly. That's why I said, Brother Steve, well, guess what? From now on, we're doing the meet and greet. We'll try our best to make sure everybody gets their hands shook in the congregation. At least somebody needs to come by and say, man, I'm glad you're here. I love you. Thank you for being our guest today. Part of that is admitting and owning up to things that are challenges and things that are wrong, and it's okay. The last one is this. This is so good, and I see this happening today as well. Some church leaders become more focused on growth than God and the Holy Spirit. Growth is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. His heart for people is the goal. It's easy to get jacked up, focused, targeted, focused on numbers, and to forget that the mission is all about knowing and experiencing the heart of God. And this is a that everybody needs to look out for. When we lead people to Jesus, we're not leading them to just our body for the sake of coming to our body. When we lead people to Jesus, we lead people to Jesus. When we lead people to Jesus, we're not leading them necessarily to us. We are leading people to Jesus. And Jesus is our only hope. He is our only hope. When you come to the Great Commission, there are three things. Three things that are very important. There's one 
fundamental and foundational conviction, and I just shared it with you. When you come to the Great Commission, in the words of Christ here, the fundamental and foundational conviction is this, that apart from faith in Christ, all the nations of the earth will perish with no hope. Let me say that again. A foundational and fundamental conviction of the body of Christ is that apart from faith in Christ, all the nations of the earth will perish with no hope. This is why in the Great Commission, Jesus focuses on and targets all the nations of the earth. Because the church maintains a foundational and a fundamental conviction that apart from faith in Christ, all the nations of the earth will perish with no hope. That's why somebody brought the gospel to you. Because they were convicted that apart from Christ, you would perish with no hope. That conviction highlights these core truths. Do not ever forget these. Number one, based on Jeremiah 17, 9 and other passages of Scripture, it's this core truth. The human heart is depraved. The human heart, apart from Christ, is depraved. It is wicked and it is sinful. The problems that we experience in our culture, in our world, is because of the issues of the human heart. There is no sin. There is no evil. There is no tragedy. tragedy there is no travesty that is caused by humans where a darkened heart is not behind it. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. He said, the heart is, no, is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul would say this in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? The wages is... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fundamental conviction, the human heart is depraved, it is wicked, it is sinful. Number two, we maintain that through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the heart made new. Through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the heart is made new. This is prophesied and promised in Ezekiel, Titus chapter 3. Verses 5 and 7, this is what was said there. He us the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you hear that? By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He, the Holy Spirit, poured out upon 
richly through Christ Jesus our Lord. We believe, we maintain that the wicked, evil, darkened heart does not have to stay that way. But lives can change and lives can be transformed through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. That when somebody places their faith in Christ, He makes that old person and that old man who was in sin to be crucified with Christ in creation in Jesus. The old becomes new. In fact, in that conversation I had even last night, in regards to a life that was overcome by darkness, I said, there's hope in Jesus that their life can be turned around. In fact, in fact, and in fact, the pain and the difficulty that's coming into their life might be the very thing that brings them to their knees to realize their sinful and their lost condition and that their only hope is in Christ. Here's the last part of this. Number three. We will call this the great assumption. Before you get to the great commission, this is going to be the great assumption of Jesus in the text. As we have talked about, the fact that the heart is depraved, wicked and sinful apart from Christ, that the Holy Spirit can change the human heart through the washing of regeneration and through justification make them right with God. The great assumption is this. The great assumption is that the heart or the hearts of believers, the great assumption, is that the hearts of believers would be absolutely broken for those who are far from God. Before Jesus ever tells them anything about going, making, baptizing, teaching, discipleship, any of that, the great assumption is that when you give your life to Christ, your heart is made new and your heart is going to match the heart of the one who made you new. Jesus and His heart breaks for those who are far from God. That's why He talks about leaving the 99 and going after the one. Searching for the lost coin. That's why His love, even in some of our praise and worship songs today, is spoken of as a, a reckless abandon, casting all caution and care to the wind. I really believe with all of my heart that Jesus died for every single person. And He took a great risk. He took a great risk. That you would say yes to Him. 
But his heart bled for the world before it ever bled on the cross. His heart bled for the world. That's why he went to the cross. And the great assumption is that when you give your life to Jesus, your heart will match his heart. And your heart will break for those who are far from God. Now I believe that what tends to happen, we get busy. It's easy for our flesh and sometimes even our religious affections. Let's just be honest. It's easy for even our religious affections and our religious flesh to get focused on things that take us away from the priority of discipleship. I've seen other people come to faith in Christ and then growing, and even ourselves growing and learning and going deeper. I believe with all of my heart, some of us don't understand discipleship because we haven't experienced it. Can I tell you my Bible school story real quick before we go? Local restaurant a couple of weeks before vacation Bible school. Lady in our church was there. Tremendous, tremendous gift. Tremendous gift. Working with little folks. Oh, she's so gifted. Her life has been busy. I mean, they've been playing baseball every weekend. I think they're doing a house remodel. All these things and stuff going on in her life. And I saw her and just in my innocent spirit of just being a pastor and being who I am. Just saying, hey, are you working at Vacation Bible School next week? Well, we got said. So busy. I mean, we are bombarded with this and we're bombarded with that. And I said, Well, I understand. But you're so gifted. You do what you need to do, it's okay. But you're so gifted. You see, I have no problem with asking things of people for the sake of the body of Christ. If that offends you, I'm sorry. But I'm not really. I wasn't asking her to mow my yard or to wash my truck. I was innocent. I wasn't even thinking about it. You're so gifted. It's okay. I mean, it really is. This is no plea. This was not manipulation. I'm just being honest. And she said, okay. Well, thank you, Brother Allen, for thinking so much of me. Great. Blah, 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 blah. Man, she comes to Bible school. Not to serve the area. I thought she might need to serve. She came to Bible school as a guy. I sit right here. I sit right there and share the gospel with students. Third through fifth grade. And I said to those kids, if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, after I shared the gospel, then I want you to come up to one of these guides and share your heart with them that you're ready to accept Christ. This little boy gets up about the third row. He comes forward. He walks up to this lady. He takes her by the hand. Tears running down his face. To the back, sits down. She led her son to faith in Christ. 
And it was that lady I talked to in the restaurant. And she said to me, Brother Allen, ever since that conversation, I felt like the Spirit of God was saying, go help in Bible school. She had no idea that she wasn't meant to be in that area. I thought she was needed to be in. But she served as a guide, and she came to me at the end of that, right there with tears in her eyes. And she said, Brother Allen, if I hadn't have been here today, do you know what I would have missed? I said, yes, I know. Because I've seen it time and time again. I've seen us reach out to the child that was hurting. I've seen us reach out to the family that was broken. And there are some of you. But when it comes time to reaching out to another, our schedules are too full. Our lives are too busy. I just feel we're missing so much more. There's an assumption in Jesus that your heart will break like His for those who are far from God. Father God, as we close our time together today, Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.